And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. Hey, good morning. Welcome to FOMC Wednesday. I don't know what that means. Anyway, it's hump day, of course. It's Wednesday, getting ready through the middle of the week. First week of May, kind of under our belts already. You know, it's going by so quick here. Um, we're also right in the middle of earnings season. Lots of earnings coming out today. Uber reporting this morning, uh, beating estimates, gap loss of about $3.04. And this, you know, what's interesting about these companies, right? Uber, Lyft, et cetera, they've been in business now for years. And, I, you know, they're pretty much a part of, you know, everyday life in a lot of ways. Brent and I were talking about, you know, when Uber first kind of started hitting the markets on the show you know, five, six, seven years ago, whenever it was. And it's interesting that even after all this time and the fact that more and more Americans are use, you know, using ride sharing now as, as kind of a common means of transportation, they're still printing a $3 loss. You know, I guess the question is, at what point do they ever actually start making money, uh, which is the whole point of actually investing in a company is that the company would uh, start making money at some point. But you know, this is interesting. Uh, just, you know, we take a look at what's happening with corporations right now and take a look at earnings. And we've got a lot of companies that have been reporting earnings and a lot of companies are reporting fairly decent earnings. Outlooks have not been so good. And the stocks that are in some of this more of the meme stock kind of crowded area, Lyft is a good example this morning, down 25% after announcing their earnings. Um, you know, they're getting hit the hardest. And those are the ones that, these are all these stocks that were getting chased so much uh, by the Wall Street Reddit bunch on, uh, you know, on the Reddit boards and, of course, you know, the Robinhood traders, et cetera, jumping into these new technology stocks. Of course, the most famous of all this is Kathy Wood with ARK Investments and her innovation fund uh, built an ETF that was killing the markets for a couple of years. I mean, she was just outperforming everything. And just like a meteor has now crashing back to earth. And, you know, it's, it's just kind of part and parcel of when we get down into the facts about investing is that we have to go back to the basics of investing. Buy companies that have fundamental value. Good example, CVS Health reporting earnings this morning up about two, one and a half, 2% this morning on, on decent earnings. We, you know, we're seeing companies that have good, strong fundamentals being rewarded for reporting their earnings and their outlooks. And companies that are this more meme stock trading type atmosphere, a um, lot of risk on, we're going to the moon, those are just getting completely pounded in the market. So, you know, this is important to go back that ultimately fundamentals matter. And this is, I think, something that we often get you know, lost in the midst of, of a market hype, market mania. We were writing some articles about this and yesterday's article in particular was talking about the, the, the don't be bearish attitude, right? So there are times though, that you need to be more bearish about markets. And there's a time that you wanna start really focusing on fundamental quality. AMD reported earnings yesterday. Um, full disclosure, we own that stock in our portfolio. Stock's gonna be up about 6% this morning. Absolutely killed it on earnings yesterday. And this is a company that's suffering supply chain issues. And we've heard all the stories about semiconductors, but there's such a demand for semiconductors 
that they're still they are still just growing leaps and bounds because of all the demand they have on their books and they have a lot of pricing power right now um, nvidia is going to be another company that reports later this month and we're anxious to see those earnings too because that's the company that is involved in everything from bitcoin mining to virtual reality to video gaming etc so these are two very important companies relative to where the economy is going right so elect from electric vehicles to uh, green energy to bitcoin mining to all this stuff that we talk about that's where these two companies are really poised. So it's interesting from a standpoint of seeing what these companies say about their earnings environment relative to all this other stuff that we're hearing about supply chain issues and bottlenecks and can't get cars created because there's no semiconductors. There was a lot of concern on these companies over the last couple of months that, you know, they were going to have bad earnings because of, of supply shortages. Well, it turned out not really to be the case. So stocks being rewarded this morning. Um, Outside of that, though, we have the big news this afternoon. That's the FOMC Federal Reserve Jerome Powell making his uh, famous appearance at about 2.30 this afternoon. Uh, at 2 o'clock, they'll report the actual announcement. Everybody's expecting right now a 50 basis point hike. And there is some concern, though, he could go 75. But there's a lot of signs right now that inflation has actually begun to peak already. We're starting to see a turn down in some of the manufacturing indexes. Uh, a lot of other indicators are showing slowing economic growth, slowing activity. Retail sales are, are starting to get weaker. So that inflationary push that we had is now starting to reverse here a bit. And that's going to provide some of the work for the Fed. So they may not have to be as aggressive. And that's going to be one of the key things to really listen to Jerome Powell today. If Jerome Powell comes out and says, look, we're going to raise 50 basis points and we're watching inflation, but we may no have noticed that there's a peak there. And, you know, so we're going to kind of, you know, watch inflation and employment and, and manage our rate hikes accordingly. That could actually be some very good news for the markets because there's been a lot of concern here over the last couple of weeks heading into this meeting that the Fed was going to be super aggressive. You know, a series of 75 basis points hikes there. They know they're behind the curve. We'll see what happens today. Our, our suspicion is, is that they're going to come out and say pretty much what's expected. And that could actually provide a little bit of lift to the markets. Markets continue to be very oversold. We actually got a, a, a little buy signal yesterday, a very early one, in our uh, money flow indicator, which is encouraging. Money flows, even though the market has been selling off here over the last week or so, money flows have turned positive, And we now have this little buy signal uh, from a fairly deep level on the S&P suggesting that there is some upside move. Now, we really need a confirmation here from the MACD, which is our moving average crossover uh, uh, indicator. And if we can get that to turn into a buy signal, that would really suggest a bit of a follow-through rally here, uh, potentially more back towards the 200-day moving average. So it could be a fairly decent rally if we can get those two signals to confirm. But right now we have a little buy signal here suggests that if the Fed is friendly today, we'll see uh, that could give a little bit of lift to stocks. As we talked about here over the last couple of days, look, don't get too excited. If we do get a rally here, this market remains in a very big downtrend, actually going all the way back to January. And there's a good bit of support here, but this has become a very defined level of support and resistance. So a rally to that resistance level, if you haven't liked what's been happening in your portfolio this year, if you've been stressed out about the action, good time to reduce some risk, rebalance your structures, raise a little bit of cash. It's okay to sit out for a little bit. But try to do this on a bit of a rally here back towards the 50-day moving average, I think is a reasonable target. We get back to about 4,300 on the S&P. 
good, good level there to raise a little bit of cash and just step back, kind of re reevaluate your financial kind of position. And then you can start making decisions. It's okay if the market starts to run away from you and things magically get better overnight. It's okay. You can always put that cash back to work. But the risk going forward over the rest of this year is more volatility, more of what we've seen already this year. And there is more risk to the downside. Uh, again, we do have a slowing economy. We've got less liquidity in the market. We don't have any real uh, stimulus bills coming down the pipeline from the government and, and monetary flows are tightening. So there is certainly some headwinds to the markets that could suggest lower prices. Valuations are still a bit elevated as well. So there is risk to the downside. So again, stepping back, have a little bit more cash, being a little bit more conservative now, wait for the market to give you some indication of what to do next. And that's one thing I'm going to visit with with Danny this morning. He's talking about the perfect portfolio for a bear market. You know, what does that actually look like? We'll talk about that with Danny Ratliff right after the break. Get by the website. Michael Leibowitz's new article on the Fed liquidity drain is on the website now at realinvestmentadvice.com. And while you're there, since your questions, comments, emails, check out simplevisor.com, our do-it-yourself platform. It's all at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. We'll be right back. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. How do the richest people of the world invest and protect their families? Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff's next virtual lunch and learn on the truth about life insurance will show you how to insure your income, minimize your taxes, and protect your real estate. Thursday, May 12th at noon. The most important insurance policy you'll ever own is the one you'll have when you die. Register now for the truth about life insurance lunch and learn at realinvestmentadvice.com. The truth about life insurance with Ratliff and Rosso. realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. Danny Ratliff uh, slipping in here this morning. Morning, sir. How are you? Good morning. Doing great. How about awesome. you? Dane Ratliff, Certified Financial Planner, of course. Uh, Brent Clanton driving our Link Challenge bus. Um, you know, so just talking a little bit before the break about, you know, kind of where we are in this market. Look, you know, I want to clarify a couple of things because, you know, this is important. And, and I often get emails where I'll say, you know, hey, we took profits in A, B, or C. And I get emails like, why did you sell all of it? No, that's not what I said. It's that we took profit. So I don't want you to misconstrue what I was saying a second ago is that, which is if you don't like the volatility that we've had this year, that, you know, it's okay to raise some cash. Does that mean sell everything? No, that's not what I'm saying at all. But if you're 100% long equities in the markets right now and you don't have, you know, 20, 30% cash and you don't have 20, 25% in fixed income, et cetera, as a hedge, you know, then maybe it's time to, to think about adjusting your portfolio a bit to reduce your overall risk. Now, even that doesn't mean that if the market goes down, you know, another 10% that you're not going to be down with the markets, right? I mean, your portfolio is still going to decline. It just won't decline nearly as much. And, you know, this is one thing that we, you know, constantly talk about on the show, you know, you know our benchmark that, we're, that we track, that we benchmark our portfolios to are down X percent. And, you know, our job is to outperform that index even when it's down. And so our job is to not be down as much as the index. And that's the whole goal. And that allows us over time 
to participate with markets with less risk. But also that there's also a byproduct of that, which means that if the market's up 10 or 20 percent a year, you're not going to be up that amount. You'll be up eight, seven, whatever it is. So you can't have your cake and eat it, too. So if you're going to chase the meme stocks in 2020, 2021, don't expect not to be down subsequently with the meme stocks, right? You, 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 you get both sides of whatever coin that you drive and so, or, or that you have. And so what's important is to make sure to manage that risk accordingly. And again, it doesn't mean your portfolios can't be up or down in a given year. And uh, you know, this year feels terrible, all right? It feels like this is an absolute terrible year for the markets. We're in this major bear market because everything you look at on the news is bad, right? You know, economy's bad. We got war between Russia and Ukraine. We got the FOMC hiking rates. We got inflation. I mean, it's just terrible, right? The market's only down about 11% for the year. That is an average decline in any given year going back to 1900. It's an average decline. It's, it's, uh, you, you should expect a 5 to 10% drawdown in every year the market is, is going on. You just got used to a market over the last two years that had drawdowns of less than 5%. And we warned you last year, we said, when we get a drawdown of 10% in this market, it's going to feel terrible. And you're going to want to make rash decisions to sell everything. You're going to be convinced the world's coming to an end. And here you are, the portfolio, the market's down about 10%. And you're going, oh my God, the world's coming to an end. It's not, Right. And we've worked through a tremendous amount of rotation within the markets that have worked off a lot of that overvaluation condition we had. I mean, again, you're talking about, you know, a lot of these darling stocks like Moderna, which is up this morning. You know, it's it's been down sharply over the last couple of years. Um, you know, Uber, Lyft, um, Roku, all these kind of high-flying tech stocks, they're down 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 percent in some cases. Some of them deserve to be, but there's been a lot of just selling in these companies because of the devastation that's been going on. So it's important. So my whole point of the conversation this morning, and this kind of is leading us to the conversation with Danny about the perfect portfolio for a bear market, is don't, you know, don't make overestimations about things. And, and in other words, like, oh my gosh, market's going down, I'm going to be all in cash. That's okay. You can do that. The problem is, is you won't get back into the markets either. And because when the bear market bottom comes, wherever it is, if we just saw the bear market bottom yesterday or day before, you're not, you're not going to be convinced that was the bottom until this market reaches new highs. And now you've missed that run. And then your next excuse is going to be, well, I don't want to get in now because the markets are way overbought and overvalued, so I'll wait for the next correction. Then the market keeps going up, and then you won't get in because the market's really overvalued now. And this is the same story. And I can tell you that's the true story, and Daniel confirmed this. Had that call yesterday. Because this is what happened in 2008. People got out of the markets, and then when the bottom came in 2009, they didn't get into the market. In 2010, the market was overvalued. It was going to crash, so they're not going to get in. 2011, they're not going to get in because Japan was having uh, the tsunami, earthquake, nuclear meltdown, rise of Godzilla. So they didn't want to get into that you know, environment then. And then in 2013, 14, 15, they didn't want to get in because of Brexit. You know, There's always a reason not to get in. And here it is, 2022, and they're still not in the markets. And they missed a 400% advance in the markets. 
that's psychology working against you. That's that's where you get trapped into what's called loss aversion and you do all the wrong things. The the important thing about managing money long term is not managing the portfolio. That's part of it. The biggest job is managing your own psychology. And that's going to be the biggest risk. So we'll talk about this morning um, kind of the perfect portfolio. But you said you, uh, you, you uh, let me just get your thoughts on Anything well, I might might have missed stating? No, I think I think you've you really you know you covered all the bases here. But I think the big thing is this does feel really bad because not only is it stocks are down, but bonds are down too. And we've been in this great bond bull market for so long, and you know I think a lot of people are having a, a lot of heartburn over holding bonds at this moment, even individual bonds, which we know exactly what we're going to get out of them, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we know if we hold them till maturity or till they're called, what the yield to maturity or yield to worse is. I think that. You know, we need to start putting some of these things in context. We also need to understand why we hold certain types of positions. And, you know, that goes back to maybe talking about, you know, the perfect portfolio. And I don't know that there actually is one no. because there's never going to be a time that it's just right because it's either going to be too little or too much. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can recall back in January started, you know, removing a little bit of risk from portfolios. And, you know, you started hearing comments of what, why would you do this? Markets have been so good. It was a great year last year. Well, exactly that reason. And I had a conversation just this last week says, you know what, maybe we just get out or I just hang tight. And, you know, once things go up, we'll start getting back in. I was like, wait, 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 hold on. Do you yeah. hear yourself? Because now we're doing the complete opposite of what we should be doing as investors. And, you know, I know, look, there's lots of bad information out there. Lance just covered, you know, all the things that are occurring, a lot of geopolitical risk. Economies are slowing, contracting in different ways. Inflation is prevalent. But we talk about, you know, okay, so if we think that things are going to go one way, where's the opposite end of where, where can we materialize and, and see things actually uh, go well? And so, you know, we hear a lot of comments, there's just nothing good in the world and the economy, things are terrible. Okay, well then why do we want to sell all of our bonds? Because that would be a very good indicator if, if things are really bad, if they're slowing down, they're going to continue to get worse. We're going to see that bonds are likely going to outperform equities here at some point. Also, you know what? We want to rationalize everything. I mean, think back. It's, it's interesting to me, Lance, is that we, and this is human nature, mm. um, markets go up. Nobody cares why they go up. Right. It's great. But the moment they go down, we have to put, you know, common sense or rationalize like, okay, hold on now. And, you know, many times we can't, you know, we've talked about the market can go on much longer than we can rationalize many times that it's going to continue to flow. And, and you know, there's going to be money put to work. And, you know, we could make arguments each and every year of why we should not invest. And yet most years are positive. Now, I think one big thing here is that this is a great opportunity. Get with your advisor, go through your financial plan, see where you are today and understand what that impact is to you. Because a good financial plan should, should make sure that you're, you're taking this into account and assuming, okay, hey, we're going we're gonna to predict that at some point we're going to have some bad years. What if that time is right now? What's the impact to you? And I think that that's where, you know, the, the, if you can't sleep at night right now, that's something you should be able to go back to that should give you some, uh, you know, a little bit of peace. Mm -hmm. Because that is one thing that we can we can account for and say, okay, we've already been there. We've done this. We've assumed that we're going to be at this stage. And here's what we're doing right now. And so having cash on hand, like you mentioned, you know, liquidating a, you know, a little bit here and there, especially if you are losing sleep already, say, hey, okay, let's go ahead and raise some additional cash. I think that the problem is, is that you get, to, you get so far where you say, you know what, I'm liquidating everything. Mm -hmm. And then you're stuck because we're still getting those calls right now 
of people saying, you know what, I've got to figure out a way to get back in the market. Right. Because they're sitting in cash where it's been earning nothing. Now, maybe today that changes a little bit. <laughs> maybe we get, what are we going to get, 25 basis points on a, on a savings account? Yeah, well, the, uh, yeah, I mean, the, you may actually start to see a positive number on that savings account for a change. Maybe. Instead of zero. Uh, but, you know, don't expect uh, your bank to come out and put a 25 basis point BIP on your money market or your checking account because they figured out that they don't need to do that and you'll still keep your money there. So don't expect the the, uh, the, the big the, banks uh, won't do it. Exactly. When you see when you see the Fed hike rates, don't go running to your bank account and say, oh, look, my money market funds now yielding a quarter basis point. No, it won't change. It'll stay zero. I have seen over the last week or two that some of the, the bigger online institutions mm-hmm. are moving their rates up a little bit. So they were at like 0.5. They're at 0.6 now. But I mean, think back to 2018. Some of these were paying well over 2%. Yep. And yields aren't much different. Actually, they're lower today than where they were in 2018. Yep. And we're getting paid a lot less. So that would maybe be an indication that maybe they don't think things are going to go get so well, high I, as well. I think, I think two things. One is that uh, that they don't think that rates are going to stay up for very long, uh, for a variety of reasons, economic growth, et cetera. But the other thing too is, is that uh, again, it's about profit margins for them. And mm-hmm. when they figure out that consumers are happy, if they've got zero and I give you 0.05, you know, and the current rate is 0.25, I keep the spread. I used to manage uh, a deposit book and that whole job was just managing that spread between what we bought bonds for and what we issued CDs at. So. That's all about spread, and that's where the banks make their money. And if they figure out, and they have figured out, that you'll be happy sitting in cash and not getting paid anything for it or getting paid very little, mm-hmm. and you're not going to go move your money all around different places, they're not going to pay anything. And then, you know, so it's supply and demand, baby. It's the way it works everywhere. All right, we'll be right back after the break. We'll talk a little bit more about the perfect portfolio. And, well, is it really perfect? No, of course not. But it's kind of a ideal portfolio maybe for this environment we'll talk about that and also talk a little bit more about bonds and you know again kind of what's going on with the bond market relative to what's happening with the fed and why this may be the buying opportunity of a lifetime be right back after the break The Real Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. How do the richest people of the world invest and protect their families? Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff's next virtual lunch and learn on the truth about life insurance. We'll show you how to insure your income, minimize your taxes, and protect your real estate. Thursday, May 12th at noon. The most important insurance policy you'll ever own is the one you'll have when you die. Register now for the truth about life insurance lunch and learn at realinvestmentadvice.com. The truth about life insurance with Ratliff and Rosso, realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. Danny Ratliff joining me as, as well. Talk a little bit about the perfect portfolio. So, you know, one thing I wanted to touch on here before we get to that is because uh, we were talking, touching on, you know, kind of market corrections and those type of things. So if I told you about a stock that had guaranteed income and 
had the large just went through the largest drawdown since 1788. Would you be interested in buying that stock? Now, most people should be saying yes, but where we are right now, those are government bonds. Government bonds have just gone through the biggest bear market since 1788 on terms of a drawdown basis. Bonds mature at face value. They're government guaranteed for payment, and they have a defined income stream. So when you buy a government bond, you are guaranteed that return. So, for instance, this is why if you buy a two-year Treasury note right now, it yields almost 2.7%-ish. Now, that's not the coupon. That is the differential between the price of the bond, which has now gone from 100 cents on the dollar to 80 cents, roughly, and plus the coupon. So when the bond matures in two years, that 80 cents goes to 100, and so you get that capital gain on the bond plus the interest income that it pays on the bond. And that's the way that all bonds are right now. They are very depressed in price, and yet people are going, I don't want to own bonds. But you get a guaranteed return. And it's always interesting because we have clients come to us, to us all the time and say, oh, I just if I could just get a guaranteed 3%, I'd be good. You can get that now on treasuries. And as we've talked about before, back in 2000 is a good example. We had CDs paying, FDIC-insured CDs yielding 8%. This is at the peak of the market in 2000. Nobody wanted them. They didn't want 8%. They wanted the 20%, 30% they could get out of dot-com stocks. A couple of years later, those CDs didn't exist anymore at 8% because rates had fallen, and they all wanted to buy 8% CDs, right? And so we always want what we want after the fact. And, you know, the, the problem is, is that we get narrative confused with return and outcomes. And there are a few things that are almost guaranteed in life, which is, that the economy is going to slow down and rates are going to fall and bond prices are going to go up. And if you buy a bond at a discounted price, it will mature at face value, being a government-guaranteed bond. So it's important to keep narratives and emotions separated. And this is why we're saying when you take a look at the bond market right now, it's had the largest drawdown since the 1800s. The subsequent years after the large drawdowns in history returns on bonds have, without consequence, been positive to a large degree. And so, again, as we talk about buying bonds, you may have to buy it and be a little bit patient, suffer a little bit of pain here as the Fed starts hiking rates. But this is likely going to be one of the best bond-buying opportunities that you're going to have to buy bonds at a discounted price in your portfolio. So now let's talk about the perfect portfolio, Danny. What is it? Tell me. I'm gonna. I'll go. Well, it. today it's all cash. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and I think this is gonna vary for each and every every person, right? Some people have a little bit higher risk tolerance, so they understand markets, um, or they're more comfortable with them than others. And I think this goes back to you know we mentioned having a plan, and you know somebody mentioned on our YouTube channel. So if you go to YouTube, go to the Real Investment Show. Uh, another way you can check us out, or if you miss it, you know you're in the car. Uh, but this is something that I think is is really important when we talk about any of these things. None of this is perfect. The plan's not perfect. The portfolio's not perfect. It can't be. We're talking about a moving asset. And so, you know, today it could have been cash. Yesterday it could have been all in equities. Um, but you would get whiplash if you tried to manage a portfolio that way because each and every day the markets are moving and reacting a little bit differently to the news and information of the day. And so I think the other thing that, that's changed things, Lance, where we used to have these couch potato portfolios where they'd say, hey, invest in these four areas 
or five areas, and you're going to be great. Don't worry about it. Well, markets have changed. and The speed of information has changed so much as well. And so, you know, whereas growth stocks and, and the meme stocks were the, the place to be, at, you know, 2020 at the end of 2020 and, you know, most of last year, that's not so much the case now. Um, you know, you did mention something about the indexes, and I think the indexes, which we've talked about, they paint a different picture than actually what's going on in the broad market in the sense that, you know, we look at the markets now and, you know, there's a lot of companies and good companies that are really beat up way more than that 11 or 12% that the S&P's down. Mm-hmm. You know, because of the way that the the assets or, excuse me, the indexes are weighted now, um, you know, some of these big companies out there are really holding them up probably much better. So a lot of people, if you're invested in the ETFs or just like SPY, uh, which we use in some of the portfolios as well. So something that, that we do own from time to time. That is something I think that um, you're not feeling the full blow of what a lot of people maybe who are invested in some of these individual or, or high growth stocks are feeling. And so that perfect um, portfolio is likely changing over time, which is why I think it's extremely important to be nimble right now, um, to have some cash on hand, like Lance mentioned, not everything in cash, but to have something so that when we have that buying opportunity, you can you can actually go out there and buy, and you don't have to just hold your portfolio and hope and wait and pray for it to come back. Um, you're going to be able to say, hey, you know what? I'm holding some here because I do realize that markets may do things that I don't expect. Maybe the Fed, they throw us a curveball, and they're a lot more accommodative or, or less hawkish than what we expect, and the market reacts favorably. That's an opportunity to recoup a little bit of losses. Um, maybe the bonds perform really well because of that as well. What happens if you get the opportunity where you know things deteriorate a little bit more? Well, you have that cash you can put to work. You also have a buffer should you need it. And you know, God forbid you're you're out of work. You need to you need funds for expenses. The AC goes out, whatever it may be. But I think you should have that in a separate account outside of a trading account. But regardless, you have the ability to make ends meet. And I think that's another big big reason why cash is king, even with very low interest rates right now. Yeah. Not everything in cash, but to some extent to have some. You want that that protection and that flexibility that it provides. Right. And look, it's, it's, it's you know, uh, again, when we go back to talking about what we said earlier, the goal is not to try to time the market. It, it, you know, can you time the market? Yes. You may get it right a couple of times and you're going to think you're a genius, then you're going to miss it. And this is why traders never last very long. And, you know, th- and we talked about this back in, you know, two, 2020, 2021. We had all these young kids that were going out trading these stocks and they were making money hand over fist. And I said at the time, I said, you know, they, they feel like they've got Wall Street's kind of tiger by the tail, right? They, they're in control of this. They've got this down. And as I said then, I said, the problem is, is that Wall Street always wins in the end. And that's exactly what happened. Traders don't survive for very long. So the goal is not trying to time the market. And yes, we use a lot of technical analysis to, to measure and quantify risk in, in the markets. And that doesn't mean, though, that we're being all in or all out. And and the goal is to try to navigate the market with less volatility. So, you know, right now we're roughly about 400 basis points above our benchmark. That's exactly where we should be. And that's exactly where we want to be, um, because that is the process that we're going through. Yes, there's some assets down in the portfolio. Absolutely. And we're sitting on about 30 percent cash that we're just waiting to go buy more of those assets with as soon as we got the right timing. So, you know, we're looking for 
those positive trend changes to take that cash and put it back to work in companies and, and bonds and other areas of the portfolio that we really like longer term, because we are long-term investors. We believe in the long-term growth of the markets, but we know that markets go through cycles and we're in one of those tougher cycles, which is why we're holding a lot of cash right now. And, and again, that's, that's, a, that's a risk management asset. We're not holding cash because we're scared of the market. We're holding cash for opportunity. And cash gives us liquidity to, to, to enter positions that we want. And so we've reduced some positions and like our technology stocks, we've reduced those weights tremendously. We're very underweight technology right now, but we still own shares of technology companies that we like long-term. We just own a very small amount of them right now. And then as soon as we get the right signals, AMD is a good example. Yesterday, killed it on earnings. Stock's going to be up about 5% or so. If it forms a nice bottom here, turns up, triggers a, a, a very oversold sell signal into a buy signal, we'll add back to that position. So that's the, that's the management process. And again, it doesn't mean that every year you're going to make money in the markets. If the markets are down 10 or 12%, you're going to be down a little bit. That's just part of, of portfolios. They, they go up, they go down. We just got very used to an environment where stocks only went up. But that doesn't necessarily mean that stocks are always going to have to correct by 50%. And this is where we've kind of gotten, letting our emotional side of this is like, well, the market's gone up so much, we've got to correct 50%. Could we? Yes, we could correct 50%. And if we do, we start breaking major levels of support um, and doing a lot of wrong things, then we'll raise a whole lot more cash. But right now, we're in an average drawdown for an average year. We've been in a consolidation for almost 10 months now. That generally doesn't inure to a much larger drawdown in the markets because you've worked off a lot of that bullish sentiment. Again, we have some of the most negative sentiment by investors on record. We have some of the lightest positioning by professional investors on record. When you get that many people off sides, it generally pretends to a at least a short-term bottom in the markets, but it also provides the fuel for a counter-trend rally that then sucks everybody back in the market. And the next conversation we're going to be having when this occurs is all the phone calls we're getting from people going, "Well, why aren't we, you know, all in the markets? Why are we, you know, why don't we have 100% equity?" And that's going to be the calls that start to tell us that we're probably at the peak of whatever this rally is and getting ready for the next downturn. Yeah, but and, it's about management at the end of the day. And those are great calls, and those are you know those are great questions to have, you know. But if, if we do have, there there are some people I've worked with for quite a long time that their barometer every time they call and they say, "Hey, it's time to go all in." I'm thinking, "Oh, geez, we got to start taking some profits," <laughs> or vice versa. So yeah. keep that in mind. It's very emotional, psychological. We understand it's your money, and we want to make sure that you're informed and educated. Right. Absolutely. All right. Quick break. Come back. Man, this hour went by fast. Yes. Got a few topics to cover with you when we get back after the break. Don't go away.
Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. How do the richest people of the world invest and protect their families? Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff's next virtual lunch and learn on the truth about life insurance. We'll show you how to insure your income, minimize your taxes, and protect your real estate. Thursday, May 12th at noon. The most important insurance policy you'll ever own is the one you'll have when you die. Register now for the truth about life insurance lunch and learn at realinvestmentadvice.com. The truth about life insurance with Ratliff and Rosso. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. show this morning. Danny Ratliff joining me as well. Getting ready to wrap up uh, the show this morning as we uh, get ready to head into the FOMC day. So big fireworks this afternoon. We'll see what happens. Markets are pointing uh, to a little higher open. Uh, Dow's pointing up about 129 points. NASDAQ up 53. Um, so, you know, going to see a little bit of a positive push out of the gate. Oil prices up a bit this morning, about 106 a barrel up about $4. Um, so again, just kind of everything kind of hanging in there, uh, not doing anything kind of really special at this point. So, but it's kind of everybody's just kind of waiting to see what the Fed says this afternoon. Will they hike 50 basis points or they hike 75 basis point? How fast are they going to taper their balance sheet? These are all the big questions, right? And right now it's just a lot of speculation. <clears throat> so uh, if they come out super hawkish, that's going to negatively impact markets. If they come out in line with with what everybody is already expecting, that might actually be good for markets. So, we'll talk tomorrow about where we wind up when we get Michael Leibowitz here. Yeah, it's will will be good news be bad news or will it actually be good news? Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, it's interesting. Uh, there was an interesting article. Bloomberg anchors are stunned to find out that crypto traders developed gambling problems. You know, it's not just crypto either. Um, this is what happened to all these retail investors that were jumping on Robinhood. And, you know, they would, you know, buy a stock and they'd get little confetti balloons and stuff would pop up on the screen. And, you know, it was just a, a feeding that that gambling addiction, that dopamine um, reaction that we get from social media as well as from, you know, trading applications, right? We buy something and we get rewarded for it visually or, or physically or, you know, um, Orally, you know, uh, audibly, sorry, not orally, audibly. <laughs> so, you know, but this is why when you go to uh, a casino in Las Vegas and you walk in and, you know, you have all the slot machines and they're ringing bells and there's sirens going off and there's all this kind of stuff. Those are all those audible cues that drag you into that environment of wanting to gamble, right? Because you're looking for that reward, of whatever it is. And, and we've talked about Pavlov and, and the dogs and, you know, those experiments, but that's all this feeds off of. And so it's not just crypto trading where individuals have developed, you know, gambling addictions, but it's also in the stock market itself. And, and, and because of what we've done to the stock market in terms of turning the stock market into a casino and, 
you know, you look at your screen, you know, there's everybody's got some screen they go to, whether it's, uh, you know, a stock trading screen or a portfolio screen or your custodian screen or whatever. And there's red and green lights flickering everywhere. And there's moment by moment changes of what's going on in your portfolio. I'm, you know, I'm up on this stock. I'm down on that stock. I'm making money here. I'm losing money over here. You know, we, we, we miss what we're trying to achieve and we get focused onto the, the gambling addiction of it. And when things are going great, we feel great. And when we have a bad day in the market, everybody's depressed. And you go home grumpy from work because the markets are down and your portfolio went down. And that's not healthy, right? And this is why, as we were talking about before, with a perfect portfolio, it's important to have a portfolio. Understand that portfolio is going to go up and down with the markets. It's, it's got to. You can't be invested and not track the markets. But importantly, you can control how much risk you're taking in the markets. And you can treat it as an investment versus gambling. And, and here's a good assessment of this. <clears throat> Danny, you own a house, right? Yes, sir. Okay. What's the price of your house today? No idea. What was, your, what was the price of your house five weeks ago? No idea. What was the price of your house at the beginning of the year? No idea. Do you know what you paid for the house? I do. Okay. Do you think the house, no, just asking, do you think the house right now is worth more or less than more. what you paid for it? You think it's worth more? Correct. And what do you base that on? Um, what other homes in the area are selling? Okay. Uh, are prices of homes, are homes in your neighborhood sitting on the markets longer or less now than they were, say, a month longer. ago? Longer. Um, in order to get prices sold, probably those prices are having to come down a little bit, right? Correct. But you still think your house is worth more? Should have sold it. Should have sold a month ago. Right. Yeah. So my point is, is that we look at our portfolio every second of every day, every tick we're looking at this, but we don't look at our house that way. And it's an asset for us too. But we can't price the asset on a day-by-day, moment-by-moment basis. I will tell you your house is worth less today than it was three weeks ago because interest rates have gone up. Mortgage rates have gone up. Housing prices are slowing. Housing demand is slowing. Prices are coming down. So whatever the price of the house was three weeks ago, you've now lost money in it. But we're not all panicking. We're going, oh, my gosh, I got to go sell my house and go to cash because I live in the house. <laughs> and I know that I'm going to live in this house for seven years or 10 years. And I, I know and everybody knows that if I live in my house for seven to 10 years, I'm going to wind up selling my house for more than I bought it for just because of inflation and, and economic growth over time. Right. I mean, that's just we know that we, history tells us that's what happens with home prices. But since we can't price that house every moment of every day, we're not rushing around trying to figure out how to dump our house today and then buy it back tomorrow. But we do that with the financial markets in our portfolios because we can now see it every second of every day. And there's really the problem is, and this, we didn't have this problem back in the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, because the only way you knew it was going in the stock market was you had to wait for the paper to get delivered to your house to read it. And that was a lot of information was two or three days old by the time it got into the Wall Street Journal. Well, most people would wait for the weekend, get the paper, and they would chart. Yeah. They chart it on. They have a journal. Yeah. So, I mean, it's changed so drastically. But but it slowed you down. It did. Right? Which it, is probably it, a good thing. It, it was a good thing. It was, it was less information, but it made you focus on the fundamentals, the trend, what was going on. And if a company missed earnings by a penny, nobody cared. Right? Now, because of the speed of information, because of algorithms and trading and all this, we're all gambling. We're all speculating in the markets, and we're all just trying to, to manage our portfolio from one second to the next. And that's where we're making all of our mistakes. 
And it's hard. I mean, look, it's hard on me. It's hard on Danny. I mean, you know, we deal with the emotional effects of this all day long every day as well. That's what our job is. But we have to step back and say, look, what's our goal? What are we trying to achieve? And focus on that rather than the individual parts of the engine. I mean, look, you know, if I, if I want my car to run well, I just need all the parts to be working and the car will run, run well. But just because one spark plug goes bad, I don't go ditch the whole car and buy another car. Although I had a friend that would do that, uh, <laughs> to, you know, to, to fix the problem. And that's that's the way we're treating portfolios. Instead of just getting rid of the one piece that's not working and fixing that, we're just dumping the whole the whole car at one time, and that just doesn't make any sense long term. And it leads to poor outcomes over time. So that's my two minute diatribe, five minute diatribe on investing. Well, I think that's perfect. You know, and, and you do have to manage it as a whole and you have to understand. And, and that's where a good professional money manager will come in. And so, you know, somebody did comment as well, says investment management sounds like the almost impossible job. Um, yes, J it is. And <laughs> on YouTube. And you know what? That's right. And that's why so many places just say, hey, buy and hold. Don't worry about it. It's going to be OK, because it's really easy to just say, let's put you in these funds and be done. But I think that you deserve more than that. And I think especially in a market and an environment like this, this is where true active money management does come into play. You need to understand some rules, some disciplines surrounding that. And I think this is where you can really get a leg up. And one, to mitigate risk. I mean, think about how many people, you look at the numbers, Lance. I mean, mm -hmm. what were the numbers of, we had what, 4.5 million people quit their jobs this last month? Yep. So how do you think these people feel when markets are down? Now that they're in this in this environment where they're likely they're not an accumulator anymore, maybe they are. Maybe they're starting their own business. Um, you know, that's it's going to be a tough tough cycle here when you see a lot of business small businesses shutting down. Mm -hmm. So we may see a big reversion here, I think, in some of this. But these people are now going to become distributors in a market environment where things are bad. And I think that's why you want you know we have these discussions on what does that perfect perfect portfolio look like, even though it probably doesn't really exist. But it needs to have a little bit of everything and not necessarily every asset class, every different type of position, but it needs to have some cash. It needs to have some fixed income. It needs to have some stocks because nobody knows exactly what's going to happen in the future. And if somebody tells you they do, you need to run, right? And if, if they did, I can tell you this, if Lance and I knew exactly what was going to be happening, I know we love what we do, but I would probably be somewhere on the beach right now. <laughs> well, I was just sitting there thinking as you were talking about that, you know, talking about, you know, the reason that most advisors are kind of buy and hold is because portfolio management is very hard. It's a it's, it's an all day job every day. And we're having to make decisions that have consequences. And it's much easier just to say, look, buy this basket of ETFs that are fully diversified. We're going to sit on this. You're going to contribute to it on a regular basis and not worry about what the market does. And hopefully in 10 years, it'll all work out just fine for you. And if and, you're and, contributing, and, and, it's a good thing because you're yeah. buying it at lower prices right now. Right. And, and so th that all sounds good. And that's a very easy gig. And if, and if I could probably reinvent myself and go back to you know, 2000, I would just I would get onto that bandwagon because my golf game would be a whole lot better. Yeah. Because it sucks right now because I'm spending all day managing portfolios. But, you know, again, like Danny said, you know, the problem with buy and hold strategy is it doesn't work. And the reason it doesn't work is that people that are buy and hold portfolios are selling them now. And, you know, as we get into these bear markets, they wind up selling the bottom. Then they wind up getting in back at the highs. Um, and you wind up with a period like from 2000 to 2015 where your buy and hold portfolio did nothing. It was zero for 15 years and you ate up a large chunk of your investment time horizon going nowhere because you were just riding through bear markets. So if the buy and hold strategy worked, and this is the easiest way, I'm actually writing an article on this, um, 
if the buy and hold strategy works, it said, why after three of the biggest bear markets on record, 1980 to 2000, 2003 to 2008, and then from 2009 to present, after those three massive bear markets, why is it that 80% of, of people don't have $500 in the bank to meet an emergency? You know, why isn't everybody filthy rich from investing in the markets? There's, there should be no poverty in the country if investing worked as Wall Street tells you it works. So just my two cents worth. Wrap it up for the day. Sorry to bore you with it. Get by the website. Dan, you got an upcoming uh, in, uh, webinar, May the 12th, The Truth About Insurance. Yes, sir. So we're going to talk about the good, bad, and ugly. Get into some really good details, how you should be using it. It may not be the old school Dave Ramsey way. So go check it out. Register at realinvestmentadvice.com. It is a webinar. So uh, we look, to, look forward to seeing you guys there. On my birthday, May the 12th. Don't miss it. Um, get by the website as well, realinvestmentadvice.com. Latest blog posts, articles, ask questions, whatever we do for you. Have a great day. Three minutes of markets and money coming right up. It's a rich man's world.